Should I have a stage name? Uh, what would you like to be? Kenny Coyote. Hey, welcome to Airtime, a Sky Review podcast. Coming up, Kenny Coyote Smith. <laughs> My good friend Kenny and I talk about some flying exploits we've had together, and we'll also talk about primarily our flight together where Kenny does the six sack standoff. <laughs> and then Kenny's uncle Dale Milford and his mysterious home built aircraft story. And that leads to a discussion of Globe Aircraft Company, Temco, and the Temco T-35 Buckaroo. Plus, a yet-to-be-discovered tale of bailing out of a wounded B-24 Liberator. All coming up on this episode, episode 2 of Airtime, a Sky Review podcast emanating from skyreview.us. Welcome. Have you been Kenny Coyote before? No, it's, I'll tell you that story, that guy, that, uh, <laughs> that old drunk that used to live in his camper behind US 104, kicking yeah. 104, oh, yeah? Magic 104. Okay. Yeah. He, uh, you had, what did he do? Was he a groundskeeper or no, just hanging out? No, he just, he was, a, he lived in his camper, man. He was an old war vet. Behind the radio station. He lived in a, one of those cab over campers and he said that he came up with a radio name for me. I I'd go over to Sweet Susan and eat lunch with him sometimes. All right, welcome to Airtime, a Sky Review podcast. It's episode two with guest number one. You're my first guest. How about that? Coyote I'm Kenny. It. I'm feeling it. Kenny. Was it Kenny no, Coyote no, or Coyote going, Kenny? We're not going over that again. Kenny Coyote. It was Kenny Coyote, yeah. Okay. I don't know. You could pull that off, maybe. No. No, okay. No. <laughs> no, we can move on. All right, well, welcome. And, and uh, there's a reason why you're my first guest. You're a really great friend, maybe my best friend. I appreciate that. Uh, you and, mutual, you and a couple other people are always switching slots. It's it's tricky out there. Yeah, they live in other states, though, so <laughs> I'm your Texas guy. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's right. Seriously, um, do you know how long we met? How, how long it's been since we met? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I tell this story often, and it's mostly because of your wife. But, yes, I can I can almost pinpoint this to the exact day if I go back and look at Ooh. my my calendar things. Day planners? to write down the day planner stuff. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah because... Being your wife, it was very difficult for her to hold her feelings for. It's been like 12, did you, did 12 years. Did you, have you met him yet? Did yeah. you see him? <laughs> yeah. I went through that for like a half a day. Ah, geez. Yeah. Well. It was a while back. You were doing mornings at, uh, yeah. at 104 at That's the right. ranch. Yeah, I was doing that uh, radio thing. Well, anyway, so you and I have worked more on than off, but off and on at the same places Yeah, over the years, over that time. But in context of uh, aviation, my flying trajectory to date you were pretty instrumental in that P-51 ride. I don't know if you remember. I mean, you, you may not have associated your your effect, your, your, you it, being well, a catalyst. But I think it wasn't until we, we this came up at one time close to your birthday a few yeah. years ago. Um, but I know that I was blessed to the fact that I was I was around you when you took that, when you took your desire to fly Right. To the next level and then the next level. And it was somewhere in between there where you kept it pretty quiet. You were in <laughs> you were in you were in DJ study mode and you got real serious about the learning aspect of wanting to fly. Now, you know, I like only maybe a couple of others obviously can attest to the fact that, you know, 
it's always great anyway, and you know me, I love when people accomplish things. Right, things that yeah. they really always wanted to do, but a lot of people don't follow through with them, Don. Yeah. And you know, we, we, we live around a lot of people like that. It's easy. It's easy to... Uh, it's a lot of trouble sometimes. Yeah, but the P51 <laughs> thing was... Uh, yeah. um, that was pretty significant because you, you were always like a... You're always like a, a little boy getting like electric football back in the early seventies. <laughs> oh was my a, god! It was the goal. You know, we we got our we got our little we got our Superman stuff. You know, we get to, it's cool to get the little cartoon stuff. But if you ever got electric football, if you're an athlete as a kid, it oh, was god. like the thing. So when you when the, as much as you were always talking about the P51 thing, when it actually came to fruition, was uh, it was that was pretty special, man. That's a pretty big moment, not only in your life, but the people around you, too, man. Yeah, it was. A, it kind of messed me up a little bit. Um, a little bit. <laughs> it messed me up a little bit. Yeah, for, the, for the rest of your life, every it's, time you get in a plane now, yeah. it's like you're pretending. Um, so what I remember, just relationshipally, is that we're really two key people, because I might not have done it, because I started having second guys, like, well, I don't know, that's that's a little over the top. And, and Tara... She she was like, oh, I, you know, I really think you should do it, and you too were like, yeah, you really should do it, and that kind of kept me in the game there, which I'm glad I did. Well, let me reverse the role then. Yeah. Do you re- do you remember what was your final apprehension? What was keeping you from just saying? Because I've seen you before. If you see something in front of you, you figure out a way to just go <laughs> do it, make it happen, or just yeah. like we talk about all the time, you learn how to do something and then you go do it yourself. What what was it was holding you back at the last minute? Well, we did the promotion, you know, uh, on the air. Yeah, but I had to I had to pony up a little money. I told you we'd have had a bake sale, man. Yeah, we could have uh, <laughs> done a lemonade stand. Well, sure, we could have done anything, man. <laughs> something like that. It was the, the so whole I, dream was, thing. Yeah, I'm pretty fiscally conservative, and so I I was like, ah, I don't know. I started second guessing, the, you know, spending the money. But I mean, there's some stuff you just you got to do, and I'm glad I did. So I'm very grateful for that. And because of that, you have this, uh, you're like this little voice in my head. You know, you have like a meme that pops up. I appreciate up and, that. <laughs> you're a meme in my Man, brain. I think, I think we all got to have them. And plus, yeah. if it's if it's just like you've said, every since you've been piloting now, it's you know, it's no longer a bucket list thing. It's no longer a goal anymore. I've done that, and now you've moved on. Funny thing about when you get your private pilot license, they tell you this is a license to learn. Yeah, it's not the end, and so it is really. It opens. It kind of opens Pandora's box. It really does. There can be some really incredible landings because that's what everybody judges you on is the landing. The landings kind of a big deal, and most people kind of innately know that. You know, so you have a kind of not pretty landing. Even non-pilot passenger will be like. Mm, well, I I could have been better. So it was always this. But the point is, the wind's always different. It's always changing. And because no matter how much you practice, there's always this challenge. You kind of always have to be on your game. So it's just this constant striving, Okay, which is can be a little addictive for certain personalities. Because you're always trying to – you always kind of want to perfect it. You always want to kind of get better. But you just have to keep going, keep, keep your head in it. You have to just always stay in it. And so that's what I mean was it opens Pandora's box. So it's like how how many different parts of aviation do you want to do and how well do you want to do them? Well, I absolutely you know? think that being a pilot of a plane or being a passenger in a plane, I would really, really rather prefer to have a pilot who is either an expert or who's practiced a lot or who is a little bit, who is wanting to perfect every aspect of what he's doing. I think what you're saying is you don't want to fly with that guy that's like, yeah, I, it's, a, it's yeah. okay. I got this. I could be doing something else. It's I do right. this in my sleep all the time, sir. I, 
I practiced a few months yeah. ago. It's fine. No, I think we would all like our uh, like our pilots to be expertises or, or have have those aspects <laughs> of especially just like you said. And you've talked about it a hundred times before about landings. Yeah. About yeah. how many times? I mean, the the touch and goes, the things that you go through, and the lingo I've tried to keep up with. Obviously, with anything, you know, more we do it, the more we're, the better we're going to get at it. And just for those who don't know us, uh, you are not a pilot. So, no. So the, just to be clear. But but after this, we might go on the road. It could turn into a frenzy. I've worn a headset with okay. that thing, that microphone around in front, though, oh, many, yeah, the, many times. With the sportscaster thing? Yeah, but I don't do the, you know, hey, the <laughs> Capo Lego Go. Yeah. Uh, 294. Oh. This is 6.9er. I don't know if you gave somebody landing a, on the okay. It's a landing clearance. Landing okay. on that left left road. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna land on the left road. That's good. Coming up on airtime, a Sky Review podcast. Kenny and I take a flight and overcoming the doom of air sickness. You and I went on a flight. At, Five years ago? Yeah. God, it's ridiculous. Because you kind of watched this pilot thing unfold with me. You needed to go, uh, was it was a couple hours and change away to a family event. And it just turned out it worked out well. And I was like, well, let's fly down there. Now, what's interesting about that is is thousands and thousands of people have had that experience. And it's not that big a deal. Sure. But your situation is you hadn't been in a small airplane. Since, for, uh, and I had to confirm it today, but uh, since 1975. Yeah, and this was 2015. So, so. yeah, yeah. And so, what, what's funny is we're right on top of, I guess, the five year anniversary. That's right. I just, think it was just a couple of weeks ago or yeah, something. Yeah, I think yeah. it was May 5th. It was a 5 5 15. That's flight. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You were what, 11, 12 years I was old? 12. You yeah. were 12 years old when you went on that uh, flight back in the day, 1975. How'd that flight go? It was. It was awesome. It was really good. It was fun. It was. I got to fly the plane for a few feet. Um, uh, it was awesome um, yeah. until until we landed. So uh, being twelve, my uncle and I'm guessing you'll introduce that yeah, later on in the story. Absolutely. But when I was twelve, uh, my uncle called my mom and said, "I'd like to fly to Dimmit. I'd like to take Kenny with me." And uh, we had his. His more or less his uncle and aunt lived in Demet, Texas. So I, of course, thought, my gosh, and I idolized my uncle. So I was like, this would be really exciting. Well, he wanted to do it for my birthday, but we couldn't do the flight, I think, until like September. So anyway, I think it was in September that we went, 1975. So uh, mom drove me to Love Field. His plane was at Love Field. We flew out of Love Field, flew wow. to Demet, Texas. And it was a, it was a, Front, back, however you call them. Oh, tandem. Yeah. Tandem. Yeah. tandem. You're in the uh, you're in the front. I was in the rear. You're in the rear. I was in, in the, the front. Okay. Yep. He's in the front. Um, obviously, it was it was awesome. I was fine, uh, but uh, but he did give me some pointers. I remember before I got on the plane, he said, "Listen, don't fall asleep. Um, try not to hang your head. In other words, try not to to put your chin towards your chest and try to keep your head up." And try to keep your head forward. If you yeah. want to look side to side, just move slow. Because yeah. he was obviously trying to give me some coaching as far as... <laughs> don't get I, sick I don't, in my airplane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we flew up there. I, I, I remember we spent the night, I think we maybe even spent two days there. Yeah. But the flight itself was crazy because my uncle had actually built this plane in his garage. 
Now, this is the knowledge I had when I was 12 years old and all the way growing up until you and I had this conversation a couple of years ago. And he built this plane in his garage. Well, we used to have Thanksgiving at his house all the time in Irving. So every year for about three years, we would show up and he would make certain progress to the plane. So it took him a long time, I remember, to build this plane. But he built it in his garage. The next time I saw the plane, I was climbing in it. We flew to Dimmit. We came back. (laughs) A couple of days later, I was doing fine. Um, There was three barf bags on the way there and three on the way back. And I needed two extra. Um, I went through all three on the way. Uh, It was okay. Okay. Because obviously I didn't know that we shouldn't have gone to the donut shop before we left Dallas. Do you have milk shake? Uh, Chocolate milk? Oh, I don't remember. I'm sure I did. Yeah. 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 It may have been one of those big ones. (laughs) (laughs) Super. You know, mom was probably like, hey, you know, we don't want to beg for lunch, son. Eat eat some extra (laughs) sugar. Yeah. Grab an extra eclair. Huh? You want some (laughs) chocolate on that? Oh, yeah. Well, on the way back, unfortunately, I was getting sick when we were coming into land. And uh, we were we were out of we were out of barf bags, oh, so uh, so my uncle just uh, opened up the the hatch. What's the good the canopy? Language? Yes. The canopy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. He slid the canopy open, and yeah. as we are touching down, Uncle Dale said he just said, "There you go." You know, that's all we got. <laughs> Put her out there. So about the time we touched down, all I remember is leaning out of his plane, and when you're trying to, you know, lose your lunch at however many knots or miles per hour you're landing in a plane that size obviously it was pretty messy and it was ugly so yeah <laughs> it, went from, it went from building the plane in the in the garage i hope you wanted all that graphic no it's good today. it's good yeah it's um sober. so it was it was very embarrassing <laughs> by the time we landed because yeah. obviously we land and there's guys on the tarmac that are coming over to take the plane and there's you know there's stuff there's yeah there's recently lunch. You know, yeah, I've consumed stuff all over the side of the plane, and Yikes. they're trying to be cool. And, uh, yeah. hey, did you guys hit a pterodactyl on the way here or something, right, or what yeah. happened? Wow. So <laughs> and that was my first and last experience in a plane that size. I was not looking forward to, right. you know, doing yeah. it again. Well, I was a little hesitant because you told me this, and I think, wow, that's uh, to date. I haven't had anybody getting, get sick. I mean, it happens. Yeah. But uh, so far... But in a doggone thing was, you know, you and I talked about flying together off and on. It's like there have been other occasions that didn't work out. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I really don't want Kenny to be the first guy to get sick yeah. <laughs> while I'm flying. You know, and if anybody I remember, else. DJ, but, you, I don't think you and I had this discussion until like the day before. Yeah. Because it wasn't. But like, what was it like two days before we left that yeah. you said, OK, we can go. Yeah, I'm watching the weather, so you you know it gets more accurate as you get close. So Surprises. I gave you a nice 48 hour window to yeah. figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like, really want to take this chance. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember. You did not uh, number the uh, amount of six sacks that were required. Otherwise, I would have yeah. balked up because we we didn't have six. But, no, had uh, I known, but so that's that's what I was looking at, and that's what we were kind of facing was, oh man, how's this going to go? I mean, how how long was the flight with your uncle Dale? Do you know? Well, it's almost a big spring. Oh, no, 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 no. That's right. That's a pretty long flight. Yeah, you've landed. Have you landed in Big Spring? I know we landed yeah. once. We we stopped. We landed once somewhere yeah. when we left Dallas. Yeah, you'd have to stop for fuel because, yeah, that's okay. I wasn't even thinking you were going from Dallas, Fort Worth. You were Dallas yeah. Love out to uh, Big Spring. Yeah. that's uh, You were in there for a while. That's pretty good. Yes. That's pretty good. So. Yeah, and it was great from all I remember of 12 was how cool the flight was there. I got 
obviously I didn't do real well with the, the sickness thing being 12 years old, not being ready, but well, that's I do, okay. I do remember the landings and then I do remember throwing up on his plane and <laughs> that was about it. To, to just uh, fully disclose, I mean, a lot of pilots are aware of this, maybe have dealt with it, but there's no, there's no shame in that because uh, there have been a lot of pilots who, uh, like really, really good pilots that had air sickness struggles. And it is something, in fact, I just had a conversation a couple of days ago with a near uh, retired ear, nose, and throat doctor who knows a whole lot about that whole, because it's all the equilibrium and the yeah. you know, fluid in your ears and all that bit right there that orients you to, to, to balance, to level. Some people are just more sensitive to it, and there's. But you can actually practice yourself. He told me, and I said, "Is it your brain?" He said, "Yeah." There's actually some exercises you can do that allows your brain to actually start to overcome that, and it stops triggering that nausea. Uh, so you can work through it. And then to take that further, there have been uh, aerobatic pilots who've who've had to fight through that. In fact, I think Sean D. Tucker had, who's one of the most renowned aerobatic pilots in the in the United States. I think I heard an interview with him where he had like industrial strength, you know, air sickness, and he was able to fight through it, like and, and kind of build up and, and practice strengthening that capability where it was not an impediment because otherwise, Man, I'm just a passenger in the back. I, don't, I wouldn't air about it. Yeah, no, you're yeah. mostly upside down. Yeah, since especially the 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 whole tendency you have of trying to just give up because, you know, my yeah. body isn't set up for this. Yeah. No, no, no. And That's... then trying to train yourself and fight through it. This uh, ENT guy uh, I talked to, he said, uh, what's really simple is you can just get in a swivel chair at home where you're not going to hit anything. He said, just spin around and around and around. I mean, don't make yourself sick. It starts to build up. Your brain actually starts to adjust to it where it actually enhances your capability. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So you can build your, you can build your immunity yeah. against getting air sick. Basically, that's the idea, yeah. Is that cool? As long as you don't have an active dog in the house that thinks you're just playing with them all the time. Yeah, if you have What's a daddy doing in there? golden retriever with a lot of energy. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be a little troublesome, wouldn't it? You might make it sick. I don't know. Anyhow, there was kind of the context for our flight. And just to go through that briefly, it, it ultimately turned out okay. But And there's an article on Sky Review under articles. You can actually search. You can, you can actually search Kenny. <laughs> there's a little uh, uh, thing up there. You, I think there's a few articles where I mention you. Okay. Uh, so it'll only pull up three articles. But, yeah, you can search. Uh, well, I only or, know of one, so the other two better be yeah. good and they yeah, better they're, be respectful. They're okay. There's only a slightly. Uh, My wife doesn't like you already. I don't know. They're just weird. mild bits of libel. <laughs> And the other other two you don't know about. Uh, Skyreview.us under articles. You can or you can search partial panel. That's the one you're we're actually referring to as the partial okay. panel. Search that if friends who fly partial panel vacuum failures, what's on there. The reason I mentioned that the reason it's titled that is because there was a vacuum failure. Yeah. Uh, this should be chapter two of this little thing we're doing today. I'm concerned that uh, you're going to be sensitive in terms of air sickness. Going down there, there the weather was great. Yeah. It was perfect, beautiful. And I knew there was going to be some rain the next morning and some clouds, and so we would probably be filing an instrument flight plan and, and in some actual, and I was prepared for that. Not hard, a fairly good ceiling, and a lot of options. And uh, I think we were going to be about uh, 40, 45 minutes in it, and then we would actually fly out of that weather system and into really nice, sunny skies. It shouldn't have been bumpy, and it wasn't. So I thought, well, this will be pretty ideal, I think. And um, that all went fine, except for 
the thing they train you for when you go to your instrument rating is if the vacuum pump fails and uh, the two gyro, the two uh, vacuum instruments, which is the attitude indicator and the heading indicator, uh, right in the center of the six pack, will uh, become inoperative. And, uh, you know, they, tr- they just drill it into you. How serious that is kind of creates this tremendous thing about it, which it is serious. It's very serious because then you're relegated to primarily using the uh, turn coordinator and the whiskey compass. If it's bouncing around, it's, it can be extra entertaining. <laughs> so we were, um, we were headed back toward here and uh, just, uh, just north of San Antonio International. I noticed, the first thing I noticed, and this is in the article in a bit, but uh, the heading indicator, actually. The attitude indicator didn't lay over. You know, I always talk about it laying over, dead. It just sort of slid straight down, perfectly level. So, and very slowly, but the heading indicator, I kept like having to recage the heading and I'm like, what's going on here? Just, and, and I kept thinking, man, this is this processing a lot. And I kept checking it. And finally, when I sweep back around the scan and we're in the clouds at that point, I look over and just do a, a sweep of the engine instruments and I see the vacuum gauge. It's completely, completely gone. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I we are experiencing that thing they train I can't believe it the vacuum pump's gone immediately I'm like I know that if I partially I was in the clouds for the for the experience so I filed for the altitude I did to get in them but it only we only had to descend to 1500 feet lower and get into the clear air and I knew that so I just called approach and said hey I'd like uh, whatever altitude it was that's uh, like 4000 feet and they gave it to us immediately. Yeah. And so I just pushed the nose over wings level and uh, down we went. And then we're, we're in the in the daylight. No big deal. Some people mentioned, you know, how did you file an emergency, declare an emergency and all that. So, well, no, because, you know, if I did all that, then we'd be, you know, probably having to turn around and go down to San Antonio International and get threaded in between the airliners in IFR weather, which to me added a whole lot more challenge and confusion than just getting into the sunshine and going VFR. So that's what we did. But so, but you watched me uh, cover up the two instruments in the center of the six pack, which is yeah. The 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 whole reaction <laughs> I have from you know seat right mm-hmm. when all this is going on, the the thing that obviously for those of you that that don't know the man I'm talking to right now, I mean DJ makes a he makes a point to try to stay a step ahead. Even if he's already four steps ahead already, he really wants to be five. <laughs> I knew nothing of this. I had yeah. no idea what was going on after I discovered, because I have all the confidence in the world in what you were doing, because I know you, you know, you know, your training, but obviously I'm just flying. I'm sitting yeah. in a seat. I see DJ pull off a little sticky pad and covers up one of the gauges. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, well, Tara's made him a little smiley face or something. He's going to put it up there to, you know, think of his wife or something. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. Other than it was weeks <laughs> later when I read the article, you know, we've, I got the full explanation. Of course, we've been toying with each other years after that. At the time, it was, a, it was a great piece for me to still enjoy the flight and know that, you know, I was in good hands. So it was awesome to watch some of those things that you were learning how to be a better pilot. And I was in the midst of all that, too. And part of my thing is, well, if I uh, scare the crap out of you, and then all of a sudden you're a distraction <laughs> rather than, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm never getting on another plane with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so that turned out okay. As far as the air sickness, uh, you seem to do fine. 
until we get yeah till you ask for that new uh, flight pattern you know and uh, we're going to buzz the tower or whatever oh was, yeah but. right no no we uh, we get close to our uh, home airport here class D airport we're close i see the airport and we we descend down it's kind of bumpy thermals which you get we just happened to time it where there was a uh, a regional airline coming in and they gave them priority of course they're faster than us and so they had us uh, swing out and uh, extend our downwind leg and it, it just timed out where it was kind of an awkward downwind extension and we're out there bouncing around low in the thermals and i see the runway i'm just like it's right there we're out there bouncing around you at that point you're like i'm I'm, I'm not feeling well yeah we better (laughs) i get some wheels on the ground you got the six sack in hand and i'm Mm -hmm. like you're kidding me i'm looking at the runway this is the end of our round trip and we've done it and you're gonna get sick looking at the runway but you didn't. I'm just hoping in the back of my head you're not going to go, man, just flip the window open, please, Ooh. man. Just yeah. <laughs> the window. I don't think that would work it in the uh, – no. I think it just uh, come right back in. No, I just remember we took it. Did we not take a hard right when uh, we were doing approach? Eventually. So I remember we took a really cool, and it was fun, and it didn't it didn't bother me at all internally. I just yeah. remember it, I, did, I wasn't expecting it. All of a sudden, we went from a little bumpy to it got really smooth, and then we took like a hard right, and I, I thought you were going to – Throw me a loop-de-loop or something. and Here when we got back home? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what I was doing was just, because once they give you a clearance land, you know, you can just get to the runway. Yeah. So that was my, because I knew you were seconds from, I'm like, yeah. pointed at the no, runway. it was cool. It was yeah. great. That's fun. But everything worked out fine. It did. It worked out yeah. fine. We got on the great. ground and everything worked out good. That was pretty fulfilling to to be able, the catalyst for you having another experience in a small aircraft without getting sick, which Absolutely. is awesome. Thanks for listening to Airtime, a Sky Review podcast. Coming up, Globe Aircraft Company, Temco, and the Temco T-35 Buckaroo. Now I want to go back, because we talked about your Uncle Dale and his tandem aircraft that you flew in. Way out to West Texas. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have it in my mind that it was that far of a flight. That's a pretty good flight. That's so that's a good commitment. Oh, it turns out well, you were talking about this and over the years, and I got curious. I'm like, well, what was this airplane? You know, what 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 is that? And it, it turns out he's an interesting guy. He was a he was an interesting character. He had a pretty interesting career. And he was a Channel 8 weatherman in Dallas, right? WFA. Early the early days they called him the flying weatherman. They call him the flying weatherman, I think, after they found out obviously he was yeah. part of the you know, Army Air Corps. Back in World War II, and um, I, he, from what I remember, the history within my family, he was uh, uh, the, his pioneering part of that was he was the first to take satellite images and present them to the public through his weathercast to where we could actually see from space a storm form and how it was moving and how weathermen actually predict the weather. Kind of introduced everybody at that time. He was on the air the same time Harold Taft was, so they kind of. Juggle back and forth who was the best and everything, <laughs> though they were, you know, they were very close friends. But that's cool. Um, but this plane that I was on was was his baby. Now, granted, I knew nothing about this obviously till you and I started talking about it, and then you got into your DJ mode and said, "Oh, hang on, I got to figure out what's going on with this plane." Well, it, it turns out at first I thought because uh, I did a little digging. Did we have we said his name by the way? No, I sneaked it out there because I know you wanted to wait till we got a little bit further. Okay, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, Dale Milford. Not only was he a TV weatherman there in Dallas, he was also a congressman. United States Congress, three terms, uh, seventy-two to seventy-nine. Okay, Dale Milford, 
and you can find some stuff, obviously, with that kind of background. He's, he's, there's sure. some stuff online. You can, yeah. you can find some stuff here and there. But I found the aircraft, and I found, I found something that was called the Milford Buckaroo. And it's funny because you had never, I don't think you had ever mentioned that it was a tandem aircraft. No. And you just mentioned that there, which further confirms. But then you had a picture of him with the airplane. And I have that in my in my files. It's in the article. You can see it in the article I mentioned earlier on uh, skyreview.us. I wasn't sure what it was because it looked like a, a Swift, sort of, but not quite. Because it was, instead of side-by-side, side, it was tandem. And so I did a little digging, like, what the heck is this thing? And then I got busy and kind of got away from that. And it was interesting and it was cool. And I think I found the actual airplane. I think that airplane is in Washington State and yeah. still airworthy and still being flown. I did reach out to the guy who has it. I haven't heard back from him. So if I do, I'll update all this and we'll follow up. Yeah, know, and to, to back up a little bit too, and I, I apologize I didn't throw this out there, but growing up, uh, before I actually got to fly in the plane, I shared this with, with you earlier too, but um, we used to go and have Thanksgiving at that uncle dale's house every year and i want to say two maybe even three years i would always he would take me out to the garage and give me the update on the airplane he actually put this airplane together and with your research you you let me know later on that he took parts of different planes and built this particular plane there in his garage in irving texas now obviously you know we're thinking how do you build a plane in a garage but I, I saw it as a kid. We all watched him for a while, and then the next time I saw it was when we drove to Love Field, and he, you know, <laughs> threw me in the back seat of that thing. That's very cool. Yeah. It's funny people aren't into it; don't realize that there's. It's actually become a very, a fairly common thing. It's, there are some aircraft companies who who sell kits, who sell uh, packages of various kinds. Some, some of them are quick build kits. Some of them are not quick and very complicated build kits. That you can do that. It's become a, a very common thing and very capable aircraft. Like Vans RV aircraft, uh, probably the most prevalent of that lot. Back then, though, uh, a little bit more of a novelty, I would think. Yeah. To build a serious airplane. Is that normal, though? I mean, just like Uncle Dale did with his, mm -hmm. where even if they don't buy the specific kit, they can go and salvage through and find pieces of planes and just put them back together? Yeah. I mean, there are some... Red tape you got to work through. I mean, the aircraft sure. probably ultimately be experimental. But there are a lot of experimental airplanes flying that are uh, very capable aircraft, very that, safe aircraft. That's so. changed over the years, Don. Yes. I mean, because yes. obviously he yeah. did this back in the early 70s. Yeah, yeah, it's changed. It was... It's gotten pretty popular. Okay. It's pretty, pretty incredible. That's, a, that's almost like its own show, even. There's a lot of that going on at, at various levels. Because you can have, I mean, there's a difference in putting together a kit versus almost making your own airplane. Yeah. In other words, where you're tinkering with the aerodynamics, the aerodynamic characteristics of the aircraft. Now, then, then you're starting down another, another path. You don't really know what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. And there are guys that do that, but that's a different, different deal. That's that's uh, way outside of my pay grade. Yeah, you got to be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You got to yeah. be smart. You got to know uh, most of your multiplication tables. Yeah. <laughs> it's never going to happen for you, <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> Anyway, wait a few more years. So as I dug into this aircraft, it turns out what I what it seems to be is something I honestly didn't know very much about, and I found fairly fascinating: a Temco T thirty five Buckaroo, essentially. Now I believe his aircraft is actually registered as the Milford Buckaroo, so I think you know he did make some modifications, and I don't know if it's experimental or, or certificated, but. And then I'm like, well, what the heck is the Temco T thirty five Buckaroo? Because I didn't know what that was. It came out in the late forties. Uh, you know what? I need to back up a little bit because there's globe, globe aircraft is what I thought it was. I thought it was a globe something. 
like a Swift, but not quite. And it is like a Swift, but not quite. It was uh, so Globe Aircraft produced the Swift, and a lot of people know what that is. It's a cool airplane. In fact, uh, back in the day, Globe Swift started in Fort Worth in the early '40s, and they actually created the first one as a home belt, ironically. Okay. But then it turned into a thing. Uh, they did an ad campaign. It was wildly successful and had huge back orders. And so they actually had to partner with somebody else to fulfill this uh, glut of orders. And it turned out they, a Globe Aircraft partnered with Temco, which is Texas Engineering and Manufacturing Company in Grand Prairie. Eventually, the business slowed down and Temco wound up buying the rights to the Swift from Globe Aircraft. So then you, later on, you had uh, Temco making the Swift. The last one, by the way, the Globe Swift was last built uh, August 23rd, 1951. Golly. Yeah. So that's kind of the background on that, which is which I knew this uh, aircraft of your Uncle Dale's helmed from that lineage. Um, by the way, Te- Temco is interesting because they also acquired uh, Luscombe Aircraft, another Dallas area uh, aircraft company. They became involved uh, with a partnership with the Riley Aircraft Sales to uh, convert existing North American Navions uh, I've got a friend who has a Navion, to a twin-engine version, which is relatively rare, a twin-engine Navion. Now, I'm getting into aviation geekdom, so for non-pilots, it's gonna, their eyes are yeah, going to start rolling back in their head. But, i got all kinds of new words in but the, the take-home. Twin, the twin-engine Navion, in fact, it turns out, uh, I saw one not too long ago, there's a there's a there's somebody in Brazil that has three or four different na- single-engine Navions that are really nice examples of Navions, and they actually also have a twin-engine Navion for sale, which is, I don't know how rare those are, but in my mind, in my spidey sense says they're pretty pretty unusual. <laughs> I don't think there are very many of those around. So just to tie all that rabbit hole together there. But the Temco T-35 Buckaroo, which is effectively what your Uncle Dale's uh, plane was, Designed in the late 40s as a low-cost trainer for the Air Force and commercial uh, markets as well. They were unable to secure a deal with the Air Force. So they wound up actually making deals with foreign governments to sell aircraft uh, for a training plane there. But they didn't sell very many of them. And yeah, it was a tandem aircraft. What's interesting is, let's see, I did a little looking to see how many are out there nowadays of the T-35. It's pretty rare, actually, which is fascinating. They, uh, I believe it's five Airworthy ones in the, uh, or five registered in the United States. Five, that's it. There's uh, one in uh, Saudi Arabia. That's about it. And, and uh, the one in Saudi Arabia is on display. I don't think it's, I don't think it's airworthy. Okay. And you said a little while ago, we weren't 100% sure whether the, the Milford Buckaroo. Yeah. Is it certified or experimental as of yeah, right now? Exactly, and I'm not sure. It probably might be experimental, but it definitely is. A, it, he did some modifications. It's a takeoff of the T-35 uh, Temco. It has to be. I mean, it looks just like one. I'm not sure what the differences are, and that's one thing I would want to ask the guy who owns yeah. what I think is that specific aircraft because he would know. He was like, hey, what's what's the, de- what's the deal with this particular airplane? Because there are so few of any of them. Yeah. Which is pretty fantastic. Well, that'd be pretty. It, it, that'd be a wonderful show and a, and a, you know a wonderful yeah. addition to this show is to yeah. is to get the specs yeah. from maybe the the next guy down the line. And yeah, there may be some people out there who I mean, there are some guys that really people really get into these uh, niche areas of things. And there may be somebody out there right now that just has this information in their sure. brain who just knows. Hey, by the way, <laughs> yeah, here's here's what's going on because these these rabbit holes can get pretty uh, frayed. Dale Milford's daughter, Sherry, is still living around the Dallas area. And I know that, you know, she was very excited when you started doing this research years ago and found about, you know, the Milford Buckaroo. So 
I'm pretty sure, you know, regardless of whoever finds out, you know, if we can actually see the plane or find out if it's still existing and still out there, maybe even still flying would be, you know, spectacular family-wise anyway. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The uh, International Swift Association is in Athens, Tennessee, and uh, that's swiftmuseumfoundation.org. They have a lot of stuff on their website. They have a regular newsletter, a classified section. They have parts information, basically a general owner support community. Uh, going on there. So it's uh, swiftmuseumfoundation.org, which is pretty cool. We're going to have to reach out to them anyway. No doubt, yeah. Get them to send us a beer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll trade them up with a picture of Uncle Dale with the the, uh, Tempco Milford Buckaroo. We should have done this at night because I was going to say, in my mind, we were going to do this having a couple of uh, Bavarian wheat beers. Because when I did the first episode, I was drinking bullet bourbon. I mean, I don't want it to turn into a thing. Those people are going to come over here and have an intervention. Know, you don't have any uh, it's not like know, non-alcoholic beverages in here to, to greet your guests? I know. We're all straight up. You know, we're drinking we're, water out of a beer bottle right now. No, I know. So. We have these uh, these Dutch beer bottles. They're so, I mean, they're, you know, they're handy. They're like a glass canteen. It helps out a lot. Man. It's nice. All right. The final segment coming up, we'll touch on a family tale of bailing out of a B-24 Liberator. Well, you know, we don't have any information on this, which uh, makes us really terrible journalists, I guess. If anybody wants to accuse us of that label. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Uh, But let's just drop in as we kind of wrap this thing up. The um, We think it's a B-24 Liberator bomber. Your Uncle Dale was in the Army Air Corps. He was an Army Air Corps aviator. I don't know what he flew, but you, you said he was doing some mapping. He was a mapper on the B-24 Liberators during the Second World War. He, uh, from from, And this is all from my knowledge as being a child and carrying it with me most of my life. Uh, he, he went to the enlistment, and obviously, as everybody knows back then, if you were strong-willing and able, a lot of times they would bypass a lot of the rules, but they were, a lot of times were very strict when it came to age. He lied, told him he was 18. He was actually 17. Um, they took him. Uh, <laughs> Michael Dale was an exceptional mind guy. He was had incredible drive. He was incredibly intelligent, but he was also very quiet. He was one of those guys who just walked softly, but he, he got credit with a, a lot of great things that happened when we brought troops home from the Vietnam War back in the 70s. When he got into World War II, he was mapping a, across Alaska in a B-24 Liberator in uh I think it was August of 45, 44, 45, Hmm. either one. Um, At the time, there was a history of those planes going through the the static fields and the planes, which had to transfer fuel on board manually. It was not unusual for them to lose a small amount of B-24 Liberators or any plane that had to do, you know, fuel switch. They would drive through these static fields. The planes would explode in midair. Consequently, uh, Michael Dale was mapping over a, a mission in Alaska, and my mother tells this story from memory, uh, from when she was a kid. She remembers not only hearing the story from her family, but also reading about it in the Commerce paper when it happened. Um, my family grew up in Ladonia, Commerce area, so Michael Dale's plane unfortunately went up. Um, By the way, that's in, we were talking about when these towns are referenced. That's Texas for you people at Poughkeepsie. Yes, my apologies. Commerce in Ladonia, Texas. we got one guy who listens in uh, Nova Scotia. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd say hello in Nova Scotian, but I don't know what language. I don't want him there. to try to find it on his okay. map and go like, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know what Ladonia. I don't even yeah. know how to spell Ladonia. So 
Uh, anyway, so yeah, he went up. Yeah, Uncle Dale was uh, he was mapping. Um, he wasn't wearing his chute. He was very uncomfortable in his jump seat, um, which, thanks to Don Jones, got me on a B twenty five, and I got to sit in the jump seat at one time. Twenty five, twenty four. Um, twenty four. Twenty four. Okay. Um, he was sitting on his chute, um, so it wouldn't slip. He strapped it around his ankle to stay in the seat. Um, the plane went up. Uh, the plane exploded. In midair, and Michael Donnelly survived the explosion itself. He came to as he was falling in midair to the ground. He somehow wrestled his chute around some part of his body, opened his chute, ended up crashing into a grove of trees. When he came to, um, from my own recollection, and the one thing we still have on our to-do list is to go to the National Archives and get the story, um, he survived anywhere from three to seven days in the Alaskan wilderness before he was rescued. Obviously, he was a teenager at this time. He went on to great things and accomplishing spectacular things as a as a father, as a congressman, as a leader up until the you know the time he died. My mother wrote a story about this, about an eight-page story about it, using fictitious names, of course, at the time because she was writing completely from memory. Yeah. Uh, Back in the early 70s, I think the only, the only documentation they had about the story itself, first person from Dale Milford, burned in the Commerce Library fire back in the early 70s. Wow. So other than trying to get first person accounts from my cousin Sherry Griffin in Dallas, Uncle Dale's daughter, that's the only thing that we remember about the specific time, even though we've found many, many pieces of documentation about those B-24 Liberator explosions, that the, yeah. the amount of planes that they lost back then. Well, that's that's a wild, wild tale to have uh, experienced that and yeah. survived it and walk away. And I mean, that's nuts. I know. And it's so tantalizing because I, I, I know every time you and I speak about it, we, <laughs> we just keep trying to figure out how we can get to D.C. and yeah. how we can spend whatever weeks it's going to take us to to find the exact date and time and the that explosion yeah so well it's interesting it a pretty dynamic life and so there were a lot of different avenues to look at i, I think uh maybe that will be the next one which is pretty challenging to kind of follow through because that's that's pretty wild okay pretty i wild think thing. it'd be a great adventure too to hopefully you and i can make that trip someday yeah it'd be cool yeah yeah it's uh what heading is that going to be? A zero six zero heading, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I looked it up. I, I checked my thesaurus, and there it was. Hey, know. New Hampshire. It got a, Oops. Came a, as long as the barometric pressure is right. That's well. That's, that's key. I don't know any of this stuff. That sounds good. You just you're doing okay. <laughs> you got to know a pilot, okay? Right. You just got to know a pilot. All right. You want to wrap this thing up? Sure. All right. Airtime, a Sky Review podcast, episode two. Let's uh, put that one into books. Kenny Smith, thanks for joining me. Yeah, man. It's always fun sitting and rapping with you, especially about stuff I know and stuff I can learn. So this has been, it's been a nice trip, It's cool. Man. Yeah. I thought you'd compliment my shirt. No. I forgot to I've seen it before. I'm just glad you don't have any <laughs> sticky pads right here, man, in case we messed up or <laughs> That's right. something happened. Oh, mic's off. Put you, a sticky thing you on. You know, they make those, uh, they make these suction cup ones. They're rubber, you know, supposed to be permanent, but they don't stay on. They fall off. You know, for fun, next time we go flying, you're going to have a dart gun. And just shoot that thing on if something goes wrong. That's not a bad idea. No, nah, it's a stupid idea. I like it. I'm going to try that. Thanks, Don Jones. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to Airtime, a Sky Review podcast from skyreview.us. 
Please, if you have anything to add to this conversation regarding the Temco T35 or otherwise anything sparks your interest, you're interested in or want to talk about or want us to talk about or want me to talk about, please share. Um, Our conversation has been mostly for the enjoyment of conversation and was in no way comprehensive. At any rate, drop us a line, mail at skyreview.us. That's mail at skyreview.us. Or just get on over to skyreview.us. You can uh, contact us that way easily. In the future, I'll probably do some stuff on flying from the right seat. I'm working on my flight instructor certificate and did a little right seat uh, flying the other day, a little right seat landing. Also have a steerman flight coming up. Probably do something on that. Hopefully talk to the pilot. He's a commemorative Air Force pilot. And so look for these things and a whole lot more coming up. And of course, subscribe on iTunes podcast app or the Google Play Store. You'll get future episodes effortlessly. And thank you for listening to Airtime, a Sky Review podcast from skyreview.us. 045 Tango outside Indu, two and a half miles on the ILS 13, full stop. Wind 130 or runway 13, land. I'm Don Jones, disguised as a pilot in the world's most ridiculous rendering of the Witness Protection Program. 